Welcome to SEC Unfiltered, home of the best SEC content on the internet. The following is brought to you by our friends over at Prize Picks. Go download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com. And when you do, use the promo code SECU to receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks is the simplest fantasy game on the market focused around prop total entries. You pick two to six players and you can win up to 10 times on any entry. Prize Picks has no sharks, optimizers, or mass multi entry guys. It's literally just you against the projection. They also allow mixed sports entry. So, for example, you can take the over on LeBron, parlay with the under on Mahomes. They've got college sports. Pro sports, literally anything and everything you can think of, they have got it over at Prize Picks. They also have a slick, easy to use mobile app, both on the App Store and Google Play. They're rated 4.8 stars in the App Store with rave reviews as well. Guys, so many fans and listeners of SEC Unfiltered have made tons of money with our friends at Prize Picks, and you should as well. Well, so again, go download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com. And when you do, use the promo code SECU to receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. Be sure to check them out and tell them that Chris from SEC Unfiltered sent you. Let's get it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. us to talk all things college football he's a college football and nfl draft analyst for believe network a co-host of the first team nfl draft and college football show and of course a co-host on rafino and joe which is a fantastic college football show and if that name sounds for you guys of course we've had blake rafino on this show a number of times 
Had to get the other half of Rafino and Joe on the airwave. Joe, appreciate you taking the time, my friend. It is a pleasure to have you on. First question I have for you is this. How do you put up with Blake, man? He's a lot to deal with. <laughs> I admire you. No, I'm kidding. We love Blake here on these airways, man. Again, appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, no, uh, to answer that question, though, because it is a great question. I There are so many comments, and then I get so many DMs from people. Blake doesn't totally know this. I get so many DMs from people that are like, how do you put up with him? You know, how do you, how do you deal with him yelling at you like that? Uh, I even had a, a priest reach out to me uh, in regards to a Notre Dame take that he had after the Denbrock uh, hiring for Notre Dame and and was saying like, you know, don't let him push you around. And I, I didn't end up responding because it just felt a little weird. But now me and Blake have an awesome relationship off the camera. That's I think that that's why. And I kind of compare it to both he and I played FCS football and anyone who's played football at the college level or or beyond or even competitively in high school knows that when you're you've got a good relationship with your teammates you can beat the hell out of each other during practice and then you come off the field and you know you guys are hanging out together after practice you're hanging out in the dining hall and it's just a completely different relationship but uh me and him get along so well so it's a, it's been a fun experience yeah in all seriousness joe you guys have a great dynamic but i was also thinking you probably you probably wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat just hearing oh, no nil alabama's on the demise on the downfall so on that note joe on that note Tell me why Bama's going to go six and six this year and year one at Kalen DeBoer, right? I mean, they're they're on the they're on the uh, ball, right? Is that is that is it is it too early to hit the panic button? Because I feel like that's what you know we've seen the transfer portal stuff. I think it's over two dozen guys have hit the portal since yeah. they've been hung it up. Which, on a side note, Joe, I think this is hilarious. People that you know, especially these Bama fans coming out, this is what's wrong with the portal. Like, if your coach leaves. You as a player should have the uh, – like, this is the scenario where it makes the most sense right. for the kids to have the choice. Like, hey, the guy who recruited me – because I, I played collegiate baseball and that happened to me after mm -hmm. my freshman year. Coach gets fired and, like, people don't realize. Like, you're almost like the black sheep when the new coach comes in. It's like, he's not one of my guys. Now, for some guys like a Caleb Downs, if he would have stayed, right, he would have been embraced. But, like, I don't blame a single player who's like, you know what – I'm going to go somewhere else where I have a good relationship with this other coach who recruited me, who wanted me, whatever. Either way, though, I guess just your take on everything that's happening in Tuscaloosa, this mass exodus, and are people hitting the panic button too early on Alabama? Yeah, I, th I think that it's it's just a hair early to to really, truly panic because we knew that something like this was going to happen. We've seen it every single time that there's been coaching turnover, that there's been some sort of an exodus. And I think that the 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 scale at which this is happening because it was Nick Saban it was always going to be a lot bigger than any other circumstance just think from the kids perspective that they thought that they were signing up to play for coach Nick Saban who was going to prepare them for the NFL to get them ready to move on to the next step to maybe win a national championship to now a guy that before this season I think most of these players didn't even know who Kalen DeBoer was the whole national landscape didn't really know who Kalen DeBoer was unless you were really in the nitty gritty of it as Washington being this up and coming team. And now here he is as Alabama's head coach. So these kids are, are going to feel like they want the opportunity to play somewhere and know that their future is secure and maybe make some money on the way. I think the, the reason why sh maybe not panic, but there should be worry is the two main players that they lost. These back end guys, these freshmen, these red shirt freshmen that are leaving uh, that stuff was going to happen with the coaching turnover, but to lose Caleb Downs and Caden Proctor, that, that to me is really significant. You can find ways to replace 
these unexperienced players and rebound from it. But to try to fix and, and find guys to fill in for an elite left tackle who is a true freshman, played out of his mind and played his best game in the SEC championship game, one of the best games that I saw from a left tackle all year, the way that he played against Michael Williams. He is potentially a future first-round pick. And then Caleb Downs is one of the best safeties that I've ever even watched on film as a true freshman. He is an unbelievable talent. So to try and go from those players to – some sort of a fill-in, somebody who's later down on the depth chart, that to me is going to be a really difficult task. I don't want to hit the panic button because I stupidly, and I said this on the show yesterday with Blake, I stupidly said coming into this past season that, you know, Nick's losing it a little bit. They're going to, you know, they're going to fall off. And when they lost to Texas, I was like, oh, this is a seven-win team. And I I fell for all that and I, and I got caught up in it and it, it made me look bad. But um, I don't want to get caught looking bad again with Bama fans. So I don't want to say totally panic that they're going to go six and six. I think Kalen DeBoer is the type of coach that will recover a little bit. Maybe that reality is a nine win at worst eight win season. To your point, Joe, because I was one of those as well. I picked nine and three for Bama last year. And, you know, you looked mm -hmm. on paper, it, it really felt like that could, especially after the, the USF game, you know, I, I thought maybe this team's going to go seven and five, yeah. but, I think just to push back a little bit, like one of my greatest concerns with Bama, and again, I, I'm not saying to your point, I, I'm, I was joking in the beginning, I'm not saying six and six, but right. it's it's like Bama's lost that benefit of the doubt, right? Where it's like, that team probably does, in my opinion, go nine and three if Nick Saban is not their head coach. Like, like and, and that's just the way we look at it because that's how we become accustomed to looking at it, given sort of that 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 Bama benefit of the doubt, if you will. I think that's what you lose. I mean, I, I think that... You're probably right. I think it's too early to hit the panic button, but it's not too early to be greatly concerned and have angst over what's happening in Tuscaloosa because there's as much concern mm. and question marks for Alabama football as there's been, you know, since the mid-2000s. And, Joe, I say that a lot. is like, you know you're old if you remember Alabama stinking at football. I mean, I recall that vividly watching South Carolina back in 2004 go into Bryant-Denny and Bama fans leaving that game early in the fourth quarter because South Carolina was beating them like a drum. Like, that wasn't that long ago. And so I could maybe understand some Bama folks, you know, seeing all this change and like, oh, my God, are we going to go back to what we were pre-Nick Saban? Yeah, and I think that the biggest part here, and a lot of Alabama fans, that they don't want to hear this at all. They need to tamper their expectations. They need to be prepared for – not for the floor to fall out and this thing to to end disastrously. I don't think that that's going to happen because the foundation that's been built by Nick Saban over the past decade and a half, it's it's been significant. It's going to set up Kalen DeBoer to at least have a strong first season, but to assume that there is going to be a, you know immediate resurgence and immediate college football playoff birth this upcoming season, that's just unrealistic. It is so hard to achieve that in college football in the modern era, especially with all of the departures that they're going through right now, it's going to take Kalen DeBoer some time being a first-year coach, or sorry, a first his first year at Alabama, for him to build his own culture, to bring in the guys that are going to help this team win and get to that position. It's not an immediate plug-and-play thing. Now, what we saw with Sonny Dykes a year ago was an exception. It was a, a rarity that we're probably very rarely going to see uh, in the history of college football going forward. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. 
Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Joe, does it not feel like this really, you know, I think with the transfer portal, parity, I think is going to continue to be a thing, which is great. It's great for the health of college football, right? A lot of teams are benefiting from what's going on at Alabama. We've seen Des Ricks go to A&M. We've seen Auburn pick up a guy, which is crazy to think about. Uh, but a number of different players obviously going to different schools. So I think parity is going to be more of a thing, and which I think is really healthy. And it's it's great to have more competitiveness. But this really feels like this just clears the way for Georgia to just take over college football, especially. I mean, dude, if they get Caleb Downs, that defense. Oh my God. It's it's gonna be insane. They've got a most of their team, I would say, coming back. They've got their quarterback, which is huge. They now effectively, and again, Bama fans definitely don't want to hear this. They effectively have the best coach in college football now with Kirby Smart. To me, like I this year, it didn't really feel like we had one team separate itself from the pack because Michigan was beaten up on a lackluster schedule, at least at the time. You know, Washington was sort of – they were doubted, obviously. Bama wasn't dominant. Georgia even wasn't dominant. But mm. I will not be shocked, I'll just say, if Georgia, if we're looking at next year, like they're just so much better than everybody else. It feels like this has cleared the path for that. And like Nick Saban was that last hurdle for them. Yeah, it definitely was that last hurdle. And there's there's really no there's no one standing in Kirby Smart's way for him to take over and to be that next future uh, of college football. And we've seen the success that he's already had winning back-to-back championships, the rosters that he's put together. And you talked about how with the transfer portal, there's now this extra level of parity. But at the same time, what is creating parity for other schools, we have to look at what Georgia's doing uniquely. They are winning in recruiting consistently and building up really quality depth. And I think in the modern era of college football, the portal now, it makes it impossible to retain that depth. The minute that guys aren't getting onto the field within their first two years, and they feel like there's not an early opportunity for them to contribute, they're going to get in the portal and they're going to leave. It happens across college football. It is really held back a lot of teams from developing and, and taking the next step as they try to reload and transition. But Georgia, I remember there was this one week where they lost a couple of guys 
and everyone was freaking out, but we forgot that they still have one of the deepest teams. And then on top of that, they still were able to pull some good players in the portal and are about to pull one of the best players to ever enter the portal in Caleb Downs. So Georgia is just a really different machine. They're built and they operate as a, as the death star that that's what they're going to be compared to continuously. They are Thanos of college football because they do it so differently and they're able to maintain that depth. They're able to win in the portal. They're just able to check every single box because people want to get coached by Kirby smart. They want to go to the NFL and they want to win championships. Now, Joe, like you mentioned, you're a former college football player yourself. And so I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. All we ever heard our entire lives was recruiting is the lifeblood of any successful program. With the emergence of the transfer portal, do you think we've reached a point where the portal is more important than high school recruiting? Do you think it's it's even? Do you think high school recruiting is still, you know, predominantly what matters most? Because it, it seems as if this new wave of free agency that has taken over in college football, I mean, there's different ways of skin a cat, right? So you're still seeing some of the elites, the top five in recruiting, they're building that way. But I mean, I think there's a real argument to be made that, you know, it's it's great to go out there and sign a top 10 class. But if you can go do like what Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss are doing, what we've seen Mike Elko do, you can almost flip a roster overnight. And maybe that's more important than even recruiting the high school ranks at this point. Yeah, I am in the in the boat on this that I think it, they're both equally important. I think that just the reality of media coverage that not a lot of people, the average fan, they don't spend the time that like you and I do with reading up on recruits and paying attention to some of these key important high schoolers that are coming out that it could eventually become stars and who has the best recruiting classes. There's not as much of an attention to detail, and they're not going to really truly be as read up on it. There's so much more coverage, though, from all of the major outlets, not just from 247 Sports and on three. We see, and I watch ESPN all the time while I'm working from home, and I have it on the background. When there's big-name guys entering the portal, that stuff gets covered. That has never really truly happened in college football that something like that would pop up on SportsCenter. So because these are notable names that we paid attention to in college football, it's going to get a lot more coverage. And that's why I think a lot of people think that the new way to build teams is through the transfer portal. I kind of sit in this, in this belief of what is set up old miss and what is set up some of these other teams to position themselves, to go on these, these playoff runs and to be some of the best teams in college football is the fact that they had good rosters. They developed them. And then they had the ability to, with a, a good roster, turn it into an elite one to compete for a national championship. You still have to have the groundwork. You still have to have those good recruits. And you have to do that through high school recruiting. I think that the bad and the negative example of this, and I, I, for some reason, if you say anything negative about Colorado, you get completely killed. But the negative version of this is what Colorado has done, where they're not doing great in high school recruiting, and they're just throwing everything that they can uh, at the transfer portal to seem seemingly fix those issues. And I don't know if that will really ever produce any success. You have to be able to do, do both well, in my opinion. Uh, otherwise it's, you know, going to lead to those depth issues showing up on game day. And on that note, Joe, Joe, it feels as if, and I felt this way for a while that it's affected the quarterback position almost mm. more than any, in the sense, because I think there's this conundrum in college football now that coaches face where it's like, you know, I look at South Carolina and Shane Beamer in this upcoming year. It's a pivotal year four, and you have this young redshirt freshman that you're really, really high on, but you're in this win-now mode in college football. And so it's like, do you hand the keys to an unproven freshman, or 
that you go out in the portal and, and get a, one of a number of proven Power 5 signal callers who maybe aren't elite, right? If you can't go get one of those guys, there's still a bunch of dudes out there that have played that you know can at least handle the responsibility of being a starting quarterback. I, I just, it, it's, I have empathy for the high school quarterbacks at this point because if you're not one of the elites, if you're a three-star quarterback, I mean, Ugh. like, again, why would a school take a three-star quarterback or start him over, again, a guy who's in the portal who's proven? It's just, it's really created this interesting dynamic at that position. Yeah, I think the other part of this, too, that I'm hoping kind of eases its way out is all of these freaking sixth-year guys that have been sticking around with all this Did you see the Miami guy today? Got a ninth Oh, my God. Yeah, Buddy needs to go get a job. He was in the signing class with Jalen Hurts. I think he was before me. I think his recruiting class, um, I was in the 2016 class. I think that that guy is the 2015 class, okay. which is, he's a year older than me. I'm 25 years old. That guy's 26, still playing college football. I wish I, you know, spent the time to figure out if I could milk some extra eligibility and uh, I could still be playing. But uh, to that point, though, I think that as you're talking about these high schoolers, they're getting screwed out opportunities to play. Uh, by these six-year guys, and I look at, like, Oregon's a really good example. Is it good that they were able to go get Dylan Gabriel? Absolutely. That's an experienced football player that's going to put them in the Big Ten title conversation. But at the same time, why is he still playing football? How the heck does he still have eligibility? It's it's really a huge mess. I think that my biggest concern is I think a lot of these teams are using it as a Band-Aid because they don't feel truly confident in these younger players. And the only way that you learn about these younger players is if you get them to play in games and see what they do early on. Like what Tennessee did, Nico Ayamalavea, he gets to play early, he gets to play the bowl game, he looks phenomenal. And I think that we all feel pretty confident about what Tennessee is going to be next year and feel better about what he can do compared to what Joe Milton can do. I think that it's, though, becoming a real problem that a lot of these teams and these coaches are not trying to develop the quarterback talent on these rosters, which takes time and instead plucking guys from other schools that to me is going to deplete and depreciate the quarterback talent in college football, because guys aren't sticking at one school and learning a system and learning how to play under their head coach. And then eventually becoming a starter and then eventually becoming a high level starter. So it's, it's really cannibalizing itself. Hopefully the market kind of settles down once there's less guys available out there and more teams are willing to go to these younger players now sticking with the sec joe billy napier and sam Pittman both have scorching hot seats entering the 2024 season in your opinion whose seat is hotter and which of those two is more likely to make it to 2025 i think the hottest has to be billy napier and i don't that's definitely not a hot take i look at arkansas and what really needs to be accomplished for Sam Pittman to stick around. I mean, Arkansas is a football program. They win seven games next year and they go to a bowl game. I, I would say that that's enough to at least feel good about the direction of the program after some of the guys that they lost, especially losing your starting quarterback and an all SEC running back in Raheem Sanders. It, it's not as much of a difficult path, but Billy Napier has not really produced a a, a bright spot for the Florida Gators. He hasn't really shown us, hey, this is what this team can be if we really start to hit our stride and if some of these younger players start to develop. If anything, they've gone backwards since that first year he took over and when Anthony Richardson was the starting quarterback. There was, at least was a bright spot that we knew that Anthony Richardson was a really good player, and then now he's gone. We've reverted to 
uh, Graham Mertz. Now, maybe that possibility is getting DJ Lagway out there early and showing that this is the future of the program. If you bail on me, you're going to miss out on uh, getting him to willingly stick around and to develop and be the future of this program. But he needs to do some significant things in 2024 to really make a name for himself. And I, I mean, Florida has this really massive threshold that I, I think he needs to win eight games before he can really cool down that that seat, which is going to be impossible because they've got arguably the hardest SEC schedule this upcoming year. Now, Joe, there's a lot of SEC fans out there that love to beat their chest and say SEC, SEC, and there's been a lot of trash talk to Texas fans and Oklahoma fans, and of course they enter the league this summer, and this will be effectively their first season in the SEC in 2024. In your opinion, this is sort of a fun one. You can go whatever direction you want with this. Which middle-of-the-pack fan base that's maybe been talking their talk is most in for the most rude awakening by Texas and OU entering? Because I think there's some folks, right, that are that are beating their chest SEC. Like, there's going to be some fan bases out there that the losses are going to pile up in a way. Like, somebody has to lose these games. Like, not everybody yeah. can quit for. Somebody has to lose some games. I think there's going to be some fan bases that are in for a rude awakening. Is there one or maybe two in particular you can think of that like, hey, things may start to look differently. Maybe Alabama is one, but I'll, I'll let you run with it. Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting question because uh, I, I mean, one of the things that makes our our you know our show great is the the fan interaction and people getting mad at the stuff that we say. I th this one might hurt a little bit because you're a South Carolina guy, but like part of me kind of wonders. Not that South Carolina has unrealistic expectations, but I feel like a program like that, that has done some good stuff this offseason, that's brought in some good football players, that they're a team that's not going to match up well with an Oklahoma and especially a Texas. Um, I just wonder if, like you're talking about, there are these teams have to lose these games to have to match up with Texas and have to face off with a team like that, the way that they've built their defensive line, the way that Quinn Ewers coming back, all that stuff, the way that we see that Sark is running this thing, that in the future, how that the recruiting level will get to. So not to take too much of a shot there, I have to throw out South Carolina. I can't bring up Vanderbilt because I don't even know they're even really Vanderbilt fans. Maybe Missouri is another one that would make sense, but they're kind of exposed to having had played them when they were in the Big 12. And the future does seem to be bright for Missouri. The only thing I would say for for them is that there is this, uh, you know, is there is a possibility that maybe a big time job opens up and, you know, their guy ends up getting poached in the future. Uh, that Drinkwitz ends up getting poached. That if things are going well and one of these other teams starts to struggle a little bit, that he ends up getting stolen away, like we've seen with so many of these other openings. Speaking of Mizzou, Joe, Mizzou and Ole Miss were two of the biggest surprises in the SEC this past season. Obviously, both double digit winners both 11-game winners, if you will. Ole Miss, tons of off-season momentum, what they've done in the portal. I think Mizzou's got a lot of momentum. They've done – they've had a very underrated portal cycle, the guys they've added. Both are going to have an immense amount of hype in regards to 12-team playoff talk. Which of those two do you think is more likely to take a slight step back? Because I, I don't see both of them winning 11 games again. Like, I think one of the two is going to take a step back. Which one do you think is more likely? Yeah, I mean, I agree with you on that. I think it would be it would be a serious meltdown if one of these teams took a step backward because they, they're built so similarly. They both had, as you mentioned, really good portal halls. They brought in a lot of really important football players along their defensive line. They added, uh, you know, some additional weapons. They both have returning veteran quarterbacks. I think if there was one team 
it would be Missouri because of the way that we've seen their coaching staff be completely poached by LSU. Blake Baker, we know, was an up-and-comer defensive coordinator. Him now being gone, we see this all the time. Coordinators leave, and the, the product on the field was great the year that they were there, and they leave, and then they're suddenly they can't figure it out. They can't figure out their identity. It's not just an immediate plug-and-play thing to replace a coordinator like that. Sometimes the guys that they replace them with don't have the same feel for the game, the same feel for the roster. I think it would have to be Missouri because of the coordinator uh, loss and some of the assistant coaches that Baker's bringing with him on his way to LSU. So uh, for Ole Miss to keep their roster together, their coaching staff together, and I mean, the, the guys that they added were just so elite. Like what Walter Nolan's going to be a, a first-round draft pick, to add him into the mix, into the interior, he is going to be a, a wrecking ball in 2024. I would have to go to with uh, with Missouri on that one. LSU and Tennessee, Joe, are two teams that, again, I, I think what's really fun about this 12-team college football playoff thing is a lot of teams that last summer we were talking about, okay, they'll be a nice eight or nine win team. Now we're starting to talk about, hey, one or two things breaks right and 12-team playoff, here they come. I think we probably all agree or most of us would that a double-digit win SEC team got a pretty good shot to make it. LSU replaces the Heisman Trophy winner, right? These are Blake Rafino's LSU Tigers. So new blood on the defensive side with Blake Baker at D.C. Over at Tennessee, you have Nico, which I am I admire you for pronouncing the last name correctly. <laughs> I, I'm not quite there yet. But they got Nico at quarterback who dazzled in the bowl game. That defense was electric. What Josh Heupel has built, uh, there's reasons to like it. Which of those two, LSU or Tennessee, would you buy more stock in to be a playoff team, a surprise playoff team in 2024? It would probably be LSU just because we know that Brian Kelly has won at a high level. I don't have evidence yet that Josh Heupel is able to get his team there. We've seen him put together some really good teams over the past couple of years, and they're starting to find their their defensive identity, which was something that they didn't have when they went on that Hendon Hooker run and they were as good as they were. So to now have a good defense led by James Pierce Jr. and you've got your quarterback, it's going to be promising. But Brian Kelly has been there before on a preparation side to have a completely new defensive coordinator, to have the pieces, to have a strong portal hall, to bring in some new defensive backs is going to be huge for, for LSU. My only just big question mark is like, what the heck is happening on offense? I, can we trust whoever they end up going with? And I, I keep asking Blake and I he doesn't really have a, it seems like, unless he's not allowed to tell me a total pulse on who he thinks that that might end up being. I keep joking that it's going to be Tommy Rees uh, as the next offensive coordinator, but Garrett Nussmeyer looked really strong uh, in the bowl game that was against Wisconsin. So we don't know if that totally 1000% translates to uh, playing all the premier SEC teams, but I, I would have to go to with LSU because I feel like they've been there. They've been on the cusp. And now their defense can get rectified and fixed a little bit. And if it can improve a little bit, that's all that really needs to take that next step. So, Joe, we know that Georgia's at the top of the SEC. We feel pretty strongly. I think that Texas is going to be up there with Quinn Ewers, Steve Sarkeesian. I, I feel good. The long, you know, They've had a great portal hall as well. Let's say Alabama, for whatever reason, they do take that step back and they become more of like a nine to 10 win per year program, which, oh my goodness, what a terrible Ugh. program. But let's just <laughs> say they do. Who does that most open the door for, in your opinion, to kind of slide up into that upper echelon? Would it be an LSU with Brian Kelly? Would it be a Tennessee? Would it be a Hugh Freeze at Auburn? Could it be a Mike Elko at A&M? Like, is there a program that you look at over the long haul, next five years, 
maybe even 10 years that you think is in a really, really good position to benefit from Nick Saban's retirement and ascend mm. to the top of the league outside of the obvious, which is obviously Georgia and Texas. I think the two that are set up the best for potential long-term success now that we have a normal version of Alabama and not this behemoth unstoppable force that's killing it and recruiting and doing everything right. Now that they're a little bit more competitive and on par with some of these second tier SEC teams as we're, we're projecting here, I think the two that make sense is Ole Miss and Auburn, uh, as you brought up. Ole Miss, the fact that Lane Kiffin has stuck around despite all these openings popping up, and I don't know if he was truly in these conversations. One would assume that he was brought up and at least tried to be pushed in, in the Texas A&M direction, in the Alabama direction. Him sticking around and then also building this roster the way that he has, the high school recruiting that he has done is has been very impactful. So I think that Lane Kiffin is in a spot to take Ole Miss to that next level, assuming that somebody doesn't try to take him, but it sounds like he wants to stick around and be there. And then the other one, Hugh Freeze, he is such a good recruiter and there are so many good recruits in Alabama. And to not have to go head-to-head with Nick Saban and to have to now compete with a guy in Kalen DeBoer who – does not have experience recruiting in the South, who is going to be in a lot of living rooms with a lot of recruits that might not buy into his shtick and might not really feel I really can identify and connect with this guy. Hugh Freeze is, has been able to do that. So I think that that Auburn, this is their time. This is in the next couple of years. This is their window. If their NIL collective and their alumni base wants to funnel money to them in the next three years after the 2024 season, you got to do it now and you got to take advantage as Alabama is wounded and trying to figure out the direction that they're going in. A 16 team SEC awaits the 2024 season and beyond. Joe, last thing, and I get you out of here. Appreciate you taking the time. We begin a new era, 12 team college football playoff. In your opinion, does it make college football better or worse? Where do you fall on the expanded playoff? Is it too much? Do we need more? What's your take on it? I think 16's the or not 16, sorry, uh, 12 is is that right number for the playoff. Having played FCS football, covered FCS football, 24 is way too many because you just end up having all these third-tier teams that are playing in bad conferences that are going to play in it. So anything more than 12 starts to get too much. But we saw this year, and we talked about earlier, the new parity that's in college football. This is the first time that I felt more than ever that there were eight teams that were good enough to win a playoff game this year. And that could have given us really good matchups. And I think that we've gotten to this point with the portal and all these kids leaving and all the, you know, the mess of, of NIL and everything that's happening. It ruined those new year six bowls that normally would have been really fun matchups to watch. And I think it's the perfect thing that the sport needs right now to remake those competitive matchups. And most importantly, I love the fact, and we got a little bit of a taste of that this year. I love the fact that now in November, all of these games, more games than usual, matter for the final outcome. We talked all of these crazy scenarios for the 14 playoff. Imagine now the fact that almost all of the teams that are going to be ranked in the top 25, at least the top 20, are going to be in that conversation at the start of November. That, to me, improves the product, and I think that that was why ESPN and Disney wanted to make this push for this and and to make the expansion because they want better entertainment. They want better games. And I think eventually we're going to get that with this 12 team playoff. This is the story of the one. 
As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Joe DeLeon does a great job talking all things college football. Joe, let folks know where they can check out all of your work. Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Joe DeLeon. And then uh, make sure you go check out Rafino and Joe Show if you haven't caught it and you love listening to two guys yell at each other for an hour i uh, implore you to go check that out that's just uh the rafino and joe show on youtube or uh, at rafino and joe on twitter chris this has been awesome i really appreciate you having me on i'm sure i'll hop on again soon and uh, you know we gotta we gotta get me on par with the amount of times you've had blake on you know we gotta <laughs> we gotta even that up a little bit <laughs> let's definitely do it again soon man i appreciate you of course